Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. If we look right here, this isn't necessary that this, that this woman, a daughter of Abraham, bound by Satan for 18 long years, be set free from her bondage on the Sabbath day, set free from her bondage. The verbs that are used here are the same verbs that are used if you were to like bind an animal, to tether it to something, to capture it, or if you were to like imprison someone. There's a certain like sense of captivity that is happening here. And so instead of this uh, text being about like the magical prescription of how Jesus can make all of your life free from suffering, I think that there's a deeper message about Sabbath here. There's a deeper uh, text, a uh, deeper overlay of the text that says Sabbath is the day that things are set free. Sabbath is the day that things are set free, where bondage is loosed. And this is part of the Sabbath tradition, by the way. If you go to the Old Testament, there's all of these texts that are like um, um, talking about uh, uh, Sabbath is the day when everyone should rest, not just the, the moneyed elites, but animals should rest, land should rest, and servants or slaves or um, workers should all rest. Like it was kind of a unanimous rest. This is the day when everyone is set free. This is the day when we're practicing the liberation that will eventually hopefully be every day, but until we get to the point of liberation, Sabbath is the day when we just get like little glimpses of it. Um, Another uh, concept in the Old Testament about this is Jubilee. Like this sense of like, there, w- there was a period of bondage and now we're ending that period of bondage for the sake of living into liberation. And that's what the gift of Sabbath is for us, to practice being unbound and set free from things. And Howard Thurman, uh, who, by the way, is, I should have given a little bio before, Howard Thurman is an African-American mystic who is kind of like the spiritual grandpa of the civil rights movement. Like, he mentored uh, Martin Luther King Jr. at Boston University. He wrote prolifically. He planted the first multi-ethnic church in the United States, in California. And, um, and Howard Thurman was like, we're never going to really get free until we're attuned to the God of aliveness, until we become apostles of sensitiveness. This was so important uh, for Howard Thurman that he uh, preached on it everywhere. He famously gave a speech at Spelman College called Listen for the Sound of the Genuine. Uh, the sound of the genuine meaning like this like deep internal voice that's like telling you about your belovedness and and confirming your own um, uh, worth and place in the world. And he's like, unless we're in touch with the spirit of aliveness, even within your own body, then you're never going to be free. Unless there is a sound of, unless you are listening to the sound of the genuine, you'll always be held by the strings of someone else's puppet work, is what he talked about. And so we have to stay attuned to the sound of genuine within ourselves, but then I think Christianity pushes us to to believe, like, that the sound of the genuine within ourselves is also within everyone else and moving in the world. And, And, like, the God of Abraham is a God who moved thousands of years ago to, for people to live to the sound of the genuine, to create worlds that they never believed possible, and continues to move today, like uh, uh, several thousand years later. That's, that's what it means to be in the spiritual lineage. 
to be people who practice uh, setting free. And so we're, uh, so that's, that's part of the reason why Sabbath is there. And I just want to really, like, confirm or um, really emphasize how this connects to justice. So um, Howard Thurman really believed that if you simply address kind of the tactical, superficial parts of injustice, that will never strike at the root of what is causing the injustice. And so, like, if you're in that board meeting and someone says something problematic and you say something to them, of course that's helpful. If you uh, start a, a book group, an anti-racist book group, and make sure that people are getting to know some vocab terms, of course that's helpful. Of course, of course I'm supportive of book groups. But Howard Thurman says there is an evil underneath racism. There is, like, a deep depth underneath racism, a spiritual wound underneath racism that is so much more than just simply kind of this like superficial violence. It's like to the, it, like we have to mine the tectonic plates underneath racism if we're ever to get rid of it. And that's why he cared so much about spirituality because he says our souls need to heal this like deep, wound of racism if we're ever going to get rid of the stuff on top. Like, of course it's helpful to have policy. Of course it's helpful to get the right elected officials in place, for sure. But unless the soul, the spiritual wound is healed, then we will never rid ourselves from the, the evil of racism in our world. And that's why we practice spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, because we're trying to get to talk to God and say, I'm offering up my soul to you. I'm offering up the deepest parts of myself, the most genuine parts of myself to God to, uh, to try to repent, to turn from the evil that I see in the world. And it takes a lot of trust in God. Um, and I know that for, there's a lot of folks who don't necessarily identify as Christian at New City. And so this might start to feel into a little bit of a scary territory where it's like, I, but I'm kind of like, I'm supposed to be in charge of myself. Like, isn't that the whole point of like me being in charge of myself? And uh, of course that is true. Like you have agency in your life. And there is one creator who wants to be in relationship with you, that, that we yield to or give faith to or trust in a way that we don't allow anyone else to have that type of trust, that type of like whole being trust. And that's what it means to have faith, to offer up our whole soul to God, to say like, I believe God, uh, that you are our creator, our redeemer and our sustainer, and I'm offering up everything to you to be transformed. And what's interesting, and Howard Thurman, I believe, would attest to this, is that the more that we offer to God, the more we experience God, the more ourselves we become. So whereas, um, you know, with so many other people, with that, like, toxic boyfriend in college, okay, it's like <laughs> where you, like, want to trust someone, but then you, like, over-identify or become codependent or over-lean into that relationship, and then all of a sudden you lose yourself, you become less like yourself. Unlike that misplaced trust, we're trying to trust God, and the evidence of that is that you become more like yourself. You become more of who you are. The sound of the genuine is louder in your life. That's how we know that we're really getting in touch with God. Um, at at uh, a couple years ago, in this very neighborhood, the George Floyd uprisings happened. 
And I just want to name a little bit of a content warning that I'm going to tell a quick story about the George Floyd uprisings. I know that lots of folks still have some trauma in their bodies around that. Um, so do you remember in the very beginning, in the first, in the first like three days or so, the protests were mostly nonviolent and they were mostly like people who were living in the neighborhood. It was mostly folks who just kind of going out and saying like, this is not okay. And then um, uh, a couple things happened at the same time and they got mashed into one thing happening at the same time. So on one hand, there was people who were like starting to uh, escalate, to agitate for the dignity of black lives. And, say, and that's what the word uprising means is that we're trying to like, we're trying to apply a certain amount of pressure or heat because uh, the system has betrayed black lives again and again and we're trying to escalate into that, right? And that was happening. But then there was also like a cavalcade of white supremacists from all over the country driving on over to Minnesota to use our city as a rage room and just kind of like mess stuff up and make stuff worse. So these are the folks who were like burning down Section 8 housing and these are the folks who were burning down post offices. No one around here didn't want the post office there, right? Like that was like an outside job. And of course, like this, this uh, level of destruction was all being done under the guise of the uprising and then being blamed on the black community. So we saw like that again. And I, like, I know people who have like eyewitness saw white supremacists do destructive things on Lake Street. And, um, and some of them are in this room, yeah. And, um, and so like when we, uh, one of the things that was going on during all of that when the white supremacists were there there was a moment in the life of, the, um, of the, these neighborhoods who are further south where there was question of whether or not um, the arson that was on Lake Street, which for those of you outside of Minnesota, Lake Street is mostly like a commercial corridor where there's like restaurants and shops. A lot of it in East Lake Street is immigrant owned. And there was concern that some of the arson might go south to some of the residential areas. And so some of the uh, residents in the area were encouraged to fill their bathtubs with water so that they would have kind of a, a reservoir of water to address some, some arson that may be happening or not. And, um, and uh, th that was a, one of the ways that we saw resurrection happening in real time as well. Because suddenly neighbors started looking out to each other. They started, um, like everyone shared their contact information and there was like communication networks. In some ways, the neighborhood had never been safer because of how many eyes were on the street and how in touch people were with each other. Um, and we didn't see a lot of uh, residential arson at all. I think because of the spirit of resurrection that protected us. But, I, but what I'm trying to impress on you is that the reason why we do spiritual work, the reason why we pray and worship, and the reason why we try to connect to God, the reason why we listen to the sound of the genuine is because we are trying to fill up a spiritual reservoir within our lives. We're trying to, to fill up a reserve that we can go to the wildfires of our world and say, we are not going to stand for this destruction, that there is, a, there is an evil in our world that we cannot abide with, and we are using what God has given us to douse the flames of hatred and evil in our world. We're going to transform this world from the soul up. That is what the work of churches is here, for us to create our own reservoirs to face the injustices of the world.
And um, unlike during the uprising, when everything was going on, a lot was happening in a small amount of time, spiritual practice can be slow sometimes. And, and there's a certain commitment that it requires. There's a certain like weekly prep fit into this a little bit more. I'm just gonna fill up my reservoir a little bit more, the spiritual power of, of God. I'm going to just put in a little bit more imagination of what a new world can be like. I'm gonna just fill up my reservoir a little bit more with sacred friendships and communications that I can connect with people with. I'm gonna fill it up a little bit more with a certain prayer that's gonna keep me alive. I'm gonna fill it up a little bit more with music and dance and art that I'm going to lean on when I need it. I'm going to fill it up a little bit more coming to church on Sundays, even when it's awkward and there's a bird <laughs> clamming into our windows. Like we're saying, we're here because God, we are looking to you to fill up our spiritual reservoir to face the real challenges and violence that we're seeing in our world. Won't you help us, God? And we lean on this scriptural text who looks to a, a, a Jesus that says, even for the things that have plagued you for a long time, even for the things that have bound you for a long time, the Holy Spirit is offering a rhythm of liberation that is going to set us all free. The Holy Spirit is creating a collective liberation, all of the chains broken, every prison opened, that we are practicing into every single week. That's why we come to church, and that's why we call out to God again and again, please, God, meet us in our time of need. And thank God, we serve a God who loves her children. We serve a God who can't wait to accompany you on this journey. We serve a God who says, you want to fill up this little bathtub of a reservoir of water. I'm sending you waterfalls of energy. I'm sending you thunderstorms of power so that you can do exactly what you need to do to build a new kingdom in this world. God is like, I'm sending you so much abundance it is beyond, and when you get in touch with the sound of genuine, when you get in touch with that Holy Spirit of aliveness, we get to get just a glimpse of it. That's the promise of our God, that when we call out, God calls back to us. And God says, I've always been calling out to you, my beloved. Um, Y'all, let's practice Sabbath together but not just a Sabbath of rest in an individualistic sense, but a Sabbath where everyone can be free. Amen?